The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasa, your host. Today, Lindsay Zaltman joins me. He is partner and CEO at Olson Zaltman, a world-renowned marketing strategy firm. Welcome, Lindsay. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. I love your background, number one. I'd love for you to just share a little bit about how you've gotten to this point in your journey and your career for our listeners. All right. Uh, sounds good. So I'll start from childhood because that's where it began, but I'll fast forward fairly quickly. <laughs> so my father was a professor of marketing. He's actually one of the founders of the company, Olson yeah. Zaltman, that we're in now. And as a marketing professor, I was always looking at some of the work he was doing. He was always encouraging me to you know, think about things a little differently and as he does in the marketing world. And I really kind of knew from a, an early age that I was going to go into some sort of marketing research insight area. You know, back then I didn't quite know, have the sophistication to know much sure. about the industry, but I knew early on, even before college, this was the kind of career I wanted to go into. And so I went through uh, undergrad with an anthropology background. I have a master's in marketing research mm -hmm. as well, and that I've gotten over time. And that combination there, I think, is really kind of, you know, what I think's done me really well in the industry. And I've had a, a history before in advertising. I was yeah. in account planning for, for several years in the advertising world. And then as I started to realize some of the kind of cool things that were going on at Olson Zaltman, I've been here for 21 of our 25 years, but those first few years back in the late 90s, early 2000s, that looking at some of the work that you know we were doing here at the time before I was here, I started to think, well, geez, that's actually really cool really stuff. Interesting. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I transitioned over into Olson Zaltman quite a while ago now, and I've been you know here ever since and, and uh, loving every day of it. That's fantastic. You know, it's rare that I have guests that share their journey and they knew that they were going to go into market research, marketing, marketing, air consumer insights. So it's really cool to meet somebody who said, I knew early on, that's what I was going to do. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it was largely influenced by those conversations that you had with your dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So talk to me about the firm. What do you guys do? I know you're not a quote unquote, traditional market research company. It'd be great to understand the context of where your firm plays in our industry. Yeah, sure. So I mentioned we've been around for erection our 25th year business now, and we specialize in getting into the unconscious thoughts and feelings of consumers. So I think now uh, what's called system one, you know, thinking, and we've been doing it long before it had that label. But I think that, you know, applying neuroscience, those types of things to the marketing research, marketing industry, that's kind of where I maybe perhaps, you know, even consider us the founders of that you know, what's now a pretty rich discipline, rich area, uh, right. our company was. And we specialize in basically getting into those deeper thoughts and feelings that consumers have and helping our clients develop strategies that are therefore, you know, built on deeper thinking, deeper strategies, and, you know, help make bigger uh, business impacts. 
We specialize in metaphor as one of our kind of, we're known as the metaphor guys in the industry, but kind of specialize in metaphor as our primary way of thinking and helping clients think about their customers. Okay. So here's what I really want to understand. Just share a little bit about metaphor and how does it work and what does it uncover? All right, sure. I could talk about this for hours. We have a book written about it, Marketing Metaphoria, if anyone wants the full version of it, but I'll try to do this in a quicker podcast version. So metaphor is literally the most basic way that all humans, therefore all consumers, think about and experience the world around them. It crosses languages, cultures, any sort of typical demographic, psychographic. It's a human phenomenon that metaphor is the most basic way we think about the world. We have, we use in Western languages about five to six metaphors per minute in our conversations. So uh, I flew across town, I'm dragging today, I feel shackled by my financial situation, my home's my cocoon, safety net, go on and on. We use five to six per minute. And so when you think about consumers talking about a brand or a category experience or some other experience in life, they're using all of these surface metaphors, they don't even realize it most often, but these surface metaphors that kind of reside in our 5% of conscious level thought that helps facilitate things. It makes the world easier. If I say my roommate's sponging off me, you know what I mean? I don't have to say all of the details behind it. So they become these shorthands for what's more complex ideas behind. We have those surface metaphors can all be bucketed into what we have called here as deep metaphors, these unconscious universal frames that again, all humans share. There's only about maybe, you know, 16, 17, 18 of them that are shared balance, container, transformation, connection are some of these kind of big themes, these right. human truths that all of those surface metaphors will tie to. So, and in a sec, but if you think about that metaphor of feeling shackled by my financial situation, that would be classified as this deeper metaphor of container. Uh, you're contained or shackled uh, by this experience, okay. I feel imprisoned. There's other themes of that metaphor too, like my safety net or my security blanket or positive containments, but they all get rooted into these deeper unconscious frames. And from a consumer angle, consumers don't know they have these deep metaphors, but Mm. our role as a company is to uncover them and then help our clients leverage that in their product innovations or communications. So metaphor is everywhere. It's still hard to believe, right? That you said five to six metaphors per minute per minute yeah and some eastern language some other languages it's even more than that but yeah you know and everyone's different we have met what we call metaphor machines people that are even more than that and then other yeah. people you have to kind of pull them out a little bit in an interview but it is everyone uses and thinks about metaphors in everything they do in life so got it so i just want to make sure i recap there's about 16 to 18 kind of deep metaphors and then there's What's the, like the description of being shackled to your bank account or something? Those are like the surface metaphors. And then importantly in there, and the most important part for strategy for clients is the theme of that metaphor. So we don't go in and just tell our clients, oh, your brand's all about container. We talk about it as it's a protective container or it's a, you know, a free container, something like your brand is all about freedom. That's another kind of metaphor around this deep metaphor of container. So it's those themes, self-connection, connection to others. That's kind of really what tells the story. So it's the pattern of all those surface metaphors that we study, you know, for our clients that we're able to say, okay, this bundle of surface metaphors kind of fits into this key theme of a deep metaphor. Very interesting. And what's the best use case for this type of research in your mind? Uh, Like how do you, what areas or departments do you work with within the client space? Yeah. In the business world, we tend to do, I'd say about half the work we do is 
you know, marketing, communications, mm-hmm. branding, insights, and the other half's R&D or innovation. If a client's getting into a new product category and they want to understand all the deep needs that consumers have, you know, we'll often go and explore it there. And then it's used to help them kind of you know, either fine tune their product or develop a product based on a gap in the market. So those two, our clients tend to be insight professionals, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are either representing the, you know, the innovation side of a business or the marketing side. So. We've done work though in policy, architecture, we've helped build children's hospitals, you know, arenas, and uh, I've done some fascinating things over the years too, where we've applied this technique, but it's tried and true. Yeah. I almost feel like, you know, it's funny when you think about talking to people who are in, I don't know, psychology or psychiatry, you always wonder like, are they analyzing me right now? But I would imagine when you have conversations with clients or just, you know, personal conversations, is your brain ticking and like listening for those metaphors or do you, can you turn it off? Sorry, it's a personal question, it, but it, I'm just curious. It's a funny thing. Once you learn to think this way, it's really hard to unlearn it or yeah. turn it off. My wife will tell you it's pretty annoying, but (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) I've learned to live with that and I've learned to uh, overcome it, but no, it is, it's kind of, it really is a way of thinking. And once you understand it, yeah, you see the world differently. So let's talk about the mechanics. Like how do you collect the data? Is it, you know, large scale quantitative data collection, more qualitative, give us an idea of what that looks like. And then, you know, just what does a project or engagement look like in terms of time? Sure. So our most tried and true product, and the one that we're probably most well known for, is called ZMET, and it's the okay. Zaltman Metaphor Elicitation Technique. So it's a mouthful. So we go by the acronym. Yeah. And the Zaltman in that is my dad, who developed this when he was a professor at the Harvard Business School. He had this little campus on the little lab on the campus there yeah. called the Mind of the Market Lab, multidisciplinary lab that drew at the time was really innovative. It wasn't just I mean, business people thought about business issues at the time and, you know, philosophers stayed in the philosophy department and and he really started to figure out, you know, that's not how the human mind works. And he brought in all these different experts from different fields and started learning from them, reading about those fields and developed what at the time was the first marketing research technique to ever get a, a U.S. patent. And what was patentable about it is what we're most proud of. There was a lot of scientific foundation and rigor that went into it. But it was metaphor elicitation technique. It's a one-on-one interview. Okay. It's, you know, sometimes more agile versions of it is a 30-minute version, but mm-hmm. typically it's an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours with consumers. And, you know, we ask them to collect images that are metaphors, those surface metaphors that I was talking right. about before, and ask them to collect those images and come in and be ready to talk to us about that. Um, and we'll start playing around with projective exercises, metaphor elicitation exercises around the images they bring in. Uh, it could be thoughts and feelings about the role of soft drinks in your life or the role of fear, whatever it is. Yeah. And those images, and we start to have in this conversation a way to do a lot of metaphor elicitation exercises, laddering exercises to get at the deeper unconscious mm-hmm. themes and emotions going on in a category. So it's a qualitative one-on-one in-depth process. We have some quantitative versions as well, mm-hmm. a quantitative tool to actually measure these deep metaphors in statistically significant manners. And that's you know obviously going out and you know inserting a way to capture these deep metaphors for the same issues you use ZMET for, but you know obviously to some strength in numbers there that right. people like to do. And so it's not quantitative version of ZMET, but it's a way to start to do this. And that's called simile. And so it's a pretty neat technique also to be able to capture. How does simile work? 
Simile is an online exercise. You can do it from your phone. You can do it from your computer. But basically, uh, we send you to a link. You collect an image that best expresses your thoughts and feelings about a topic or a couple images. And then we have you know different selection process in there where you get your final image, give some words about it, uh, the reasons why you chose that image and why it expresses your thoughts and feelings. And then we've got a whole way. There's kind of all these images are you know, meta tag and everything, right. so we know which deep metaphor that image represents and, you know, the language people are using, we're able to kind of come out with the key themes for clients that way too. It sounds so. like a really robust database. It is. I think we have, even outside of the marketing world, we have yeah. the world's largest database of metaphors, which wow. is pretty powerful. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. You said something, I don't want to minimize it, but it, your dad started ZMED at Harvard and it sounds like he started the center, which created this cross-functional interdisciplinary approach to market research. Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The Mind of Market Lab there which I think when he retired, uh, he's Professor Emeritus now, when he retired, I think so did the lab with him. Oh, got it. <laughs> but it was yeah. on campus and uh, yeah, it was kind of the impetus of Olson's Altman today. That's very cool. And it manifests itself in daily business life today, right? As we think about cross-functional teams, interdisciplinary functions, it's really Absolutely. cool. So how much of the work in your mind is science versus art? <laughs> I think... This is qualitative in general, I believe, too. Right. Although ZMED is a very rigid, I mean, obviously there was the patent around it. There's sure. a very rigid process to it. Right. That said, I think any good qualitative research, and quantitative for that matter, mm-hmm. too, there's creativity and some interpretation you do. And that's what good firms do well is right. make good interpretations based on data. So I would say I probably call it like 70-30 mix of science versus, you know, art. Yeah. And but that 30% art is the stuff that you really need to have the right people and the right, right minds working on things. We talk about this concept of, you know, being consumer informed versus yeah. consumer led. And I think kind of if you just rely on the data alone, it's being kind of led by the data. And that's okay, but it's mm. not, you know, you're listening to consumers, but you're kind of going out and doing what they're telling you to do. And if you're consumer informed, you use that data as a way to be smarter about consumers and then think of things that they can't even imagine or articulate right. themselves and take them there. So that's kind of that art there, which yeah. is you know hard to learn and do, but it's where the, the big innovations happen. Yeah. And I would imagine just experience, right? For people who work on that 30%, understanding other projects, other findings, and being able to take from those different experiences and apply it to a specific engagement is probably pretty yeah. important. Absolutely. Just the wisdom you get with being around. and Yeah. 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 So so I'm curious from your perspective, there's so much going on in our industry across the board as it relates to technologies shaping a lot of, you know, what we do as an industry. There's a lot of investment funding. How does that play into what you guys are doing and kind of how you view the future of our industry? Yeah. I think the industry is at I think it keeps getting more and more exciting. And some of the things that are exciting are things that we don't necessarily do as our core strength. Right. You know, big data, obviously, and what we're able to do with, you know, real-time data coming in, the amounts of data, how quickly every, it's fascinating. And so I think the concern I have is that pendulum when kind of has maybe swung a little too much into, you know, looking for quicker, more, I'd call surface level you know, input versus some of this deeper thinking that techniques like ZMED allow clients to do and really spend time getting to know consumers at a deep, more qualitative level. 
But I also think, you know, big data, every time you learn something from big data, it's the what, and it creates an opportunity for the why to be explained, which is a need for us too. So I think there's a lot of excitement with what's going on there. I think there's always going to be a role. I do think that pendulum, by the way, will start swinging back more Mm -hmm. and people will realize like everything, you know, kind of maybe we went a little too far to kind of ground ourselves and, you know, rethink things. But so I think there's always going to be a role for companies like ours Mm -hmm. who work with clients to do deep thinking, you know, and really it's, you know, more in-depth research processes. We also, in our company, we're also working with AI and working with technology Mm. to help improve ZMet, you know, how we do the interviews, how how we do our analysis. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, I think, which is super exciting for us, it was invented, would have never thought that, you know, these things today are possible. And so we've got some really fascinating things going on internally in the company with regard to applying technology. That's very cool. And do you think that more research will shift to understanding the consumer at a deeper level on the unconscious level? Is it unconscious or non-conscious? Yeah. Okay. Do you think we'll see shifts there just given the fact that consumers are just bombarded with so much and, you know, getting stated responses might not be always the optimal way to go. I think it's going to inevitably go there. I mean, there's always going to be a role for traditional research too. I think the best research plans have ball and quant, the best research plans have traditional and non-traditional research. I mean, it's always the kind of mixing and matching of things too. But I do think the industry technology and advances in what we know about the mind are just naturally going to give us better ways to understand consumers Mm -hmm. than a traditional survey. And so as that happens, clients are going to more and more want to explore Mm -hmm. and they'll start to see they're getting deeper insights. And so I do believe that trend and it's growing now as an industry, for sure. I think clients are all are realizing, you know, focus groups aren't necessarily the best way all the time to understand consumers. So people are switching now, I think already, but I think it's going to be a growing industry rather than a shrinking one. Yeah. I agree with you. I've seen lots of different ways people are trying to get to the deeper learning and new firms that are emerging who are getting their you know, their feet into it. So I think it just um, reiterates your point. All right. Here's my last question. Maybe fun question. What's been your favorite project that you've worked on and why? Mm. I would say, honestly, I think I may have even referenced it earlier. It's one that stays kind of top of mind to me. We did a study here by based in Pittsburgh, helping to build the Children's Hospital Pittsburgh. Yeah. And it was actually an architecture client, not a marketing client that brought us in. And they they read an article on us in the New York Times and kind of said, you know, it was a marketing yeah. business article, but they said you know, that same process would apply to helping design buildings. And so this particular one was building a hospital from the ground up and it was interviewing patients of the hospital, which were children, obviously. Right. Some for terminal cancer, some for a broken leg, parents of patients, some who spent months or weeks there at a time, and some who just were there at the ER for, you know, a quick visit, and then staff also. And how do you build a hospital that meets all of their needs Mm -hmm. since they're all using the same hallways, they're all working or using a patient's room, the chapel, the cafeteria, the open spaces, et cetera. And so... That one was just, I mean, there wasn't like a dry eye in any of the interviews that yeah, people that, did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and our transcriptionists at the time were like, you can't keep sending these transcripts, <laughs> you know, just 
<laughs> but it's a really powerful study. It's a cool one today that when you look at the hospital today, you can immediately see the impact of the metaphors of transformation and energy coming out of it yeah. and openness coming out of the space too. And so that's always when I drive by it almost every day on the way to work. And so it's, that's you know, gotta one feel good. Things. yeah, it's one yeah. of these neat things you can look over and you directly see the impact it had. So that's, that's my favorite cool. study. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but what I find is that, you know, we all gravitate towards projects that really impact society and people and humanity, which is heartwarming. And you feel good about the profession as a result. Yeah. Do some wonderful things in the classic marketing ways yes. and those are fun projects or we wouldn't be in this industry. 100%. But yeah. What, when you get some of these kind of projects that are, you know, going into doing some greater good as yeah. well, it's, that's, yeah, they're special. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. I really learned a lot and I appreciate you taking the time. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And oh, by the way, if people want to learn more about you, do you want to just shout out your website so people can get in touch? Sure. It's olsonzaltman.com. It's O-L-S-O-N-Z-A-L-T-M-A-N.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.